you have to take the machine out of the human. Like marketing automation didn't take the machine out of the human, right? Marketing right. automation just created a different layer of jobs for the human to do that's still very much uh, a machine-oriented job. Mike, it has been a long time since the last episode. And, it has. And today... No, uh, no dancing. No dancing. Yeah, you're you're little little low energy today. Yeah. No, we'll see. Maybe it was all those mean things you said to me before we hit the record button. Anyways, today we have got uh, this is going to be a fun one. Um, I've been uh, been wanting to to bring uh, this person on to the podcast. To, uh, I think if people got to see the conversations that he and I have, uh, just when we're catching up, um, they would find entertainment in in and of itself. So now we're uh, going to make it a little bit more formal, Mark. Why don't you introduce yourself to, to anybody who may not know who you are? Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Mike. Great to be with you all today. My name is Mark Killens. I'm at a company named Drift. We're a revenue acceleration platform. Get more into that later, Doug. Uh, but I am on the marketing team. I am the vice president of content and community at Drift. And something that might be of interest to your listeners is I have four teams underneath uh, my set of responsibilities, content, of course, community, events. So I run global events at Drift, but then learning and development, which is not just customer and solutions partner type learning development, but that is for the whole company. So internal and external learning development, which sits underneath marketing, which is extremely unique uh from what i at least can gather so your what what's your official title vp of content and community and then you report to the cmo yep trisha gelman our cmo and then so then who are the other like what are the other disciplines because that, that that's an interesting carve out Mm. For, 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 for roles. So I'm just, I'm actually really curious about this. So what are the, like, what are the other, who are your peers? Like what are their roles? Yep. There's four other leaders that report into the CMO, Trisha. One is SVP of revenue marketing. She has demand gen. So new business pipeline creation, customer marketing and customer advocacy and voice to customer, uh, which is, you know, customer marketing expansion, right? Pipeline and focused. And then customer health, you know, voice to customer, um, NPS type stuff. And she also, uh, also has, excuse me, uh, revenue operations, um, which is mostly in the marketing side, but it's highly co collaborative. Then we have a VP of product marketing, just classic product marketing, competitive positioning analysts, all the, et cetera, et cetera, product marketing. Then we have a VP of brand and creative, Think of that as our in-house creative agency and brand-centric things. So the brand book, right? The video team, the design team, uh, the web development team. Uh, and then we have uh, a, four, a fifth group, I should say, which is uh, comms, PR, internal marketing. So it's both internal and external communications, public relations, um, she shares some responsibility with our VP of product marketing on the analyst front as well. So five kind of overall core disciplines. Um, and so revenue operations report, re revenue operations is under revenue marketing? It's, it's more marketing ops. I say okay. rev ops because it's, it's, we have individual ops teams within sales, CS, and marketing. And then there's one strategy and operations leader that sits outside of those teams. Um, His name is Will Collins. But everything marketing is doing from an operation side is trying to figure gotcha. out how we help the business drive more revenue. So I'm, I'm sorry, you guys, awesome. you guys are obviously not growing then because I've read many, many places that if you have, you know, if your operations are, are, are function underneath their respective silos, that, that doesn't work. You can only have operations. Um, if you want to grow, you can only have, so I'm assuming drift isn't growing very much right now. No, no, no. I mean, you know, we don't really have much growth going on now. <laughs> Um, God, I, I, you know, and, and, and as you know, I, I'm obviously an advocate for revenue operations. I'm an advocate for the holistic revenue operations, but I got to tell you, I love this. And I'll be referring to this episode many, many times just for this. Cause I go, I mean, you know me well enough. And I think 
those who are listening probably do too, that there's nothing that sends me around a bend when someone starts coming out. Well, the way to do this right is, um, and, and, you know, there's, there's a thousand ways to get to the destination that you're going. You just got to have it, you know, be clear. So that, so anyways, that, that is a fascinating, um, the, so, so I'm, wow, I had no idea that we were going to go down this path. So content, content goes, you know, reports to you. Revenue marketing has responsibility for SEO, I'm assuming. So how does that, how, how does that go back and forth? That, how, how do you guys balance that? Mm -hmm. So just one quick thing on the, the RevOps point you made. Uh, about a year and a half ago, it was completely centralized. Because Drift is growing so fast, and what we felt was the right thing to do for our customers and our business was to break it out and still have this centralized function, though, from a strategic standpoint and an mm -hmm. ops standpoint. Um, that's what we've been doing, and, and so far it's been working well. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. anyway. <laughs> well, and, and I know you guys well enough to know, you guys deal with things holistically, right? So, so you know, they're like, I know when I'm saying that the content is over here and SEO is over, over there, it's not like you're not collaborating and connecting and, and, and coming back and forth. And, and, you know, the point that I oftentimes make is just because you put all your operations functions under one name, doesn't mean that you're any more holistic than you were before. It's, it's really the question of, you know, what are you doing? So yeah, that, that makes all the sense in the world. So anyway, so t talk about that, that content SEO element. How do you guys how does that balance? So, so before I dive too, too much into that specific, I would call that like a channel. Would, you know, a channel could be like organic or, your, or direct referral, all kind of related to SEO slash brand building. What really revenue marketing is about is partnering with other stakeholders. So the demand gen team within revenue marketing, we have demand gen leaders broken out by our three core business segments. And they are responsible for coming up with a joint like go-to market strategy and plan for these different business segments. So then they use channels both in the market, but then also through the sales team to take our content, take our offer offers, take our education. And we think of content as media offers and education. That's how I have my content team set up. There's three leaders that are responsible for all three of those things. And so then those demand gen leaders match to the sales team, then use those things um, and ultimately work together to, to, to drive revenue, to build pipeline and get revenue, right? And so when you think about SEO, that's more on the digital marketing side. So we have a, a digital marketing function within revenue marketing too. And that's focused on channels such as paid search, paid social, SEO, uh, webinars is a channel, is also content. So we've breaking those things out. Like my team develops the webinar content, but then there's a webinar channel owner, just like third-party events where it's strategic in picking which webinars we do with which, with which partners, which, with which audiences, same with third-party events, but we're helping create the experience around those webinars as a content function and as kind of in many ways, sometimes as an event function. Does that help answer it, Doug? Yeah, it does. And I actually, I actually really love the construct of that because I've seen, I, I believe that when content and SEO are too closely tied together, SEO becomes the driver, whether you realize it or not. And, I, and I'm not being anti-SEO when I say this, but whenever SEO is driving the, the bus, the quality of the content goes down. Yeah, I mean, what we try to do is we try to serve the audience and serve the algorithms. So, well, what, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go on. I was just gonna say like, and we, and we actually use a lot of, um, really strong SEO folks these days use intent data and they, they use intent data. That's somewhat part of the dark, dark funnel. Some of it is part of like the funnel you can see. Um, but that's how you come up with a more holistic uh, SEO strategy that serves audience and algorithms. Well, but the other thing that you've done, the other thing that you've done is you've made SEO the customer of your digital content team. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right now, which is which is different than making SEO the commander of your digital content team, if you get what I'm saying, right? So, so it like there's just enough separation that that you know, and and you've got kind of a matrix to it where you've got you know what's the content, you know what's the plot of our content, and so your three content teams that has to align around all those elements. Then you matrix it to your lines. 
and then you matrix it to your channels, right? So there's there's collaboration, but there's also that that structural tension between each that that you know the chef says, no, I'm not going to sacrifice that ingredient because it will it will materially change the taste of the meal, and it's not what it was supposed to be. But I'm also not going to not make any adjustment because, right? If you get what I'm saying, it it, it I, I like how that's structured. It, it it's both. I mean, it's a little bit more complex than 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 a lot of things, and, and it's got to be managed correctly for that. But but I, I very much like what uh, that's a really cool setup and structure. I, I think that's just absolutely fascinating. It, so, do you, Mark, do you know other companies that have that kind of structure or approach, or how did like? I'm just curious. Like, how did you guys come up with that? As it's kind of the model because I agree with Doug. A lot of times you see SEO being the, you know, kind of the, the master and, 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 and content being, you know, the, 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 the afterthought. Um, I, I shouldn't say afterthought, but SEO drives a lot of what, you know, a lot of organizations are doing around content. And then therefore you get pretty crappy quality content. Well, and it, it can be as simple as, and I, I know some companies that have them technically separate. Um, Am I still coming through? Cause I noticed my screen froze. Okay, cool. So um, I'll deal with my video separately. Um, I, I know some, I know some companies that have them separate um, from the standpoint, you know, from, from a technically reporting standpoint, but SEO, you know, makes the edict that we need to drive more SEO traffic and content needs to support to deliver on that metric. And that's when I begin, you know, when, when, that becomes the driver of the content. That's when I begin to, that, that's when I see the quality of the content, you know, consistently begins to degrade. Anyhow, I'll oh, go on. No, I was gonna say to answer kind of Mike's point, a question and like your point, it's like, we think of it as audience and goals. So who are you trying to reach and just really deeply innately understanding the audience and then what are the goals of the business and we try really hard to match those things up. So for example, um, I measure my content team on content engagement and I can go, I don't think we want to talk about this now because this is not the point of the podcast, but there's, there's a slew of content engagement metrics that we look at. And then at the flip side of those content engagement metrics, there's your more classic funnel type metrics, which are you know from, from sessions down to we call them interested people, but leads down to meetings booked, down to meetings held, all the way through then the sales cycle stages, et cetera, et cetera. And we're ultimately trying to, to match those two things as much as we can. So for example, we have a SEO strategy for Q3 that takes into account what are the messages we want to put into the market and teach our audiences about and in some ways, um, get them excited about, but at the same time, what do we feel like that's going to do for us in those three months, but then in the next nine months and the next nine months after that, because you have to have both a short-term view and a long-term view to demand gen. It's, it's like, it's like, you know, you can create a lead or whatever right now, but when does that lead actually become pipeline? Like when does that contact at that account actually flip and turn that whole account into a real opportunity for the business? depending on your business and your go-to market, that could be 30 days, that could be 270 days, right? So it's, there's a lot of factors to consider when you're doing SEO these days. So let's talk about Drift is a revenue acceleration platform. So let me speak for the audience and say, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, we help businesses unify their marketing and sales teams to engage customers on their terms. That's, that's what, what does that know. mean? Yeah. I mean, it's simple. The customer has all the power, right? We've been completely, we as a consumer have been put in complete control of how we want to um, kind of live our lives because we have so many options of how to buy something, where to buy something, how to communicate, how to learn about something, where to go for something. And we can do all that mostly instantaneously or within a day, right? With like, it's like 24 hours or less, right? We live in an on-demand, hyper uh, accelerated, uh, always on from an attention standpoint economy. And 
on the business side, when you're trying to sell to someone at a business in the traditional sense, and you're trying to sell someone a solution, not a tool, not a product, not a feature per se, but like a solution, you might be trying to sell them a feature or a tool as well, but you need to match the way you actually do that to the way people live and buy things today overall. And the expectations of people and their five to seven second attention span um, and them being able to turn to a competitor within a snap of a finger, all now has dictated this, this change in your go-to market. So we help businesses change how they go to market and match the way people buy. All right, we're gonna we're we're entering the fun zone now. Yeah, let's go. Um, he can start sparring with you now, Mark. <laughs> I'm 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 with you. Two thirds. Um. I I I get a little bit bent. It's not my main point. I get a little bit bent with with the statement: the customer is in complete control. Consumers, we are in complete control. Um, I, I agree that we certainly have more power. Um, I think we are in complete control. I think that's an overstatement. Um, and I also think that that one of the points that you made to that control, which gets to more of my central point, is we have there. I mean, you know, there's no question that that we 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 flipped, you know, supply demand constraints, right? It used to, you know, that that has flipped. And we as buyers have more choices than ever before. We can go in whatever direction, we can interact however we want. And I think that more often than not, that puts buyers in a state of overwhelm and buyers are paralyzed. And I think one of the things that has happened in this remove the friction, empower the buyer, they get to do whatever they want is that we forget that point of view, like, like who's the greatest, who's the most successful tech company in your opinion in history? How do you define tech? Digital technology, utilizing and selling digital technology. Bits and bytes, processing of bits and bytes. J I mean, just bits and bytes? I, no, I mean, it could be on, but bits and bytes has to be a core part of what they're doing. I think, I, I think Apple. No question. Apple, 100%. Most valuable company in the world. Yeah. And what do they do? What are they famous for? They're famous for eliminating choice. Yeah, it's an integrated, you know... Uh, experience ecosystem well, they, in, in many ways but also they take out the flip they, they take out the disk drive mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. take out the headphone input they mm -hmm. take out the this they take choice away from you right well that that goes against everything that we're saying about the buyer we've got to let the buyer behave however the buyer wants to behave apple says the buyer can, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably a little bit closer to Henry Ford who said you can have whatever color you want as long as it's black, right? You can't, you can't custom configure it as well. You can't open it up as well. If you mess with it, if you jailbreak it, it, it blows up, right? You have you, and you lose all those other elements. So, so tell me how Apple is continuing to be the most successful tech company by taking away choice. If the answer is we have to empower choice. I don't think, I didn't say empower choice. Uh, what, what I would articulate you're saying is like they're simplifying. They're, they're simplifying and sometimes they're doing it like overtly. Sometimes it's just like, okay, I, I, I didn't even know I needed that to be simplified, right? Um, so I think like to actually put, to actually like empower the customer to be in control because they do have the control at the end of the day, right? Like it's not like there's really almost nothing in the world that is existing of just one thing. And if it does, it's going to be completely, you know, commoditized sure, over time, right? So, like, how do you uniquely stand out? Like, how do you uniquely stand out and uniquely, like, actually make the empowered, in-control consumer of that, you know, thing that they're trying to make a decision around? It's to simplify it. Simplify the product. Simplify the experience. But, but it's beyond, I mean, but here again, it's beyond simplify because, like, you know, like for example, they're, they're notorious about you can only interact with them for support in very, very select ways. I can't go to any medium, you know, 90% of companies, if I, if I tweet something about them, like I've learned that's the best way to get support. You can't, you can't tweet Apple. Apple doesn't care what you tweet, <laughs> right? You, you have to interact with them the way, you know, they're telling you, this is how you're going to interact with us. So, so I agree that it does simplify things because it takes that choice away and it curates for us. And, and like, I'm, we're going to go, we're going to circle back to intent because I think intent data, 
you, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the predictions that, and I know, and I know Drift with the AI and the sales AI that you guys are building, you're right on this trend that's saying, you know, we're going to have 2 million fewer salespeople by whenever because digital is going to take it over and, and people want to do it themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I know, I know you don't, I know you don't agree with that, but, but what I'm saying is we're going to, we're building a self-fulfilling prophecy down that, down that path because mm -hmm. we keep treating the salesperson and we keep treating certain, you know, there are frictional inflection points and we treat all friction like a bug. We're taking six Sigma to customer generation. And, and I'll never forget my favorite quote from Jack Welch, who I've lost a tremendous amount of respect for as you learn more and more about him. But my favorite quote about, you know, from him was when he was asked, are there any disciplines that Six Sigma wouldn't work for? And he said, as far as he could tell, there were only two, criminal law, trial law, and sales. And he said, and the reason for that is, is that in trial law and sales, all the value occurs in the variance. It's what happens that wasn't expected. That's where the value is created. Like that's where the value is it is created from. Six Sigma is all about eliminating variance. The problem with Six Sigma for those disciplines is it views variance as bad. It doesn't matter if it's positive variance or negative variance. In a Six Sigma world, all variance is bad. You follow me? Well, we're we're treating friction and and aspect, and I don't think that you mean this with acceleration, but I know this is how a lot of people are interpreting acceleration as the elimination of all friction to make it slick and easy for the customer to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do that. And, and I think that we're precariously close to being in danger of overshooting on that. I'll pause from my rant and let you comment. No, no, it's, I mean, revenue acceleration is definitely not all about that. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, revenue acceleration is an outcome that most businesses would like to have, right? More revenue faster. It's kind of a, it's an outcome type of way to, to think about why you would use a set of technologies, a solution to, um, you know, mutually benefit both the customer, the buyer and the business. So when you say like friction, I think it's like, it's like, just like with anything, right? It's like how someone perceives that. Do they perceive that as, um, that experience is being um, easy or, or not easy, right? And we know people typically prefer to have experiences that aren't like taxing on like their brain, right? It's like, it, that's just study after study says that, right? Like, you, why would you want to try to make it really hard for someone to buy something if they really want to buy that thing, right? That's counterintuitive to like kind of everything, right? But what we're also saying is our habits have been changing. Like, so like revenue acceleration takes into account habits and there's been so many different inflection points over the last 30 years because of mostly, I would say, because of the rise of the commercial internet um, and us being so hyper-connected and having protocols and applications and platforms built on top of the internet that has changed our habits and how, going back to what I said, how we buy and live. And what we're trying to do is, is from a channel perspective, because people have like ultimate choice of channels, typically, right? They, they can go to all these different channels for all these different things or, or use channels as a means to connect to someone or find something, um, or whatever that might be. A channel can perform a lot of jobs these days. Same with, same with platforms in many ways that a, a business needs to be much more um, considerate or forward thinking in how they engage with someone. And engagement cannot just take place by having them um, fill out a form and, you know, wait to hear back from you. Um, it, it, it doesn't match with, with the, the way we live these days, Doug. Right. So like when you think about like, I think six Sigma is like a process, right. It's a process to achieve an outcome sales. And this is where I, I agree with you. Sales is not linear. Sales is about building relationship and relationships are messy. And it's not just like one channel you're going to use to build that relationship. And there's like not one way you're going to do it. It's going to take time and patience and mutual trust and understanding between people and that is what revenue acceleration is trying to help businesses and people do is use the right technologies and insights to build those relationships to mutually benefit one another. How do you assess if the juice is worth the squeeze? In, in comparison to what, or like looking at what, what do you mean? <clears throat> Sorry. Well, you know, you, you, you mentioned that, that, you know, as an example, and Mike, jump in when you want, um, you know, I'm not going to take a breath. 
you know, you, you, I'm you know, enjoying, you, you, I'm, I'm really actually enjoying that this is you know, a, Mike, uh, Mike, the problem is Mike falls into, he becomes a spectator on these things. Right, right. right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you brought up the point that, you know, you can't just, you know, submit a form and, 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 and wait and wait. Like it, it doesn't work that way. Um, I'm, 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 I'm sure you said it far more eloquently than what I just did, but. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. And, 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 and certainly like I'm, I'm all for, there's a lot of bad process. There's been a lot of bad process out there. I, I know you would agree with me. It's not as simple. It's not as simple as putting a chat on your website, which, which now infers the expectation that I'm going to get immediate response. And I put something in there and then I wait for like four and a half hours. And then someone sends me an email in some bizarre fashion or, you know, um, but like, you know, so, so if I'm running, um, my supply chain, and we're in the early stages of, of of plotting things out, and we need to figure out what our power management strategy is going to be, and we're looking at, you know, how to reduce the, the cost of whatever. Five-minute response time, and I'm just picking on that because that's the, you know, forever. Five-minute response time isn't going to be the difference for anything, right? And, 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 and so I think that, you know, like I see, so, so to me, acceleration is akin to velocity. Like to me, acceleration and velocity mean the same thing. But acceleration doesn't mean faster, right? Because fast equates to speed with me. And I see people, I see us, we're addicted to speed, right? I would, we're, we're ad, you know, you, you made this statement, we all have, you know, we, you know in, our, in our five to six second attention span, right? Yet, if you look at the average length of a movie today, it is longer than it was 10 years ago. I can't remember the last time I got a movie that was under two hours. By the way, I think movies would be far better. I think 90% of movies would be far better if they were an hour and 45 minutes because they'd have to edit the boring crap out. But like, what was Endgame? It was three hours. So, so how are we, like, how can we say that there's no attention span? How can we say speed matters all the time when people will watch Avengers for three hours, they'll watch the Irishman for three hours and 45 minutes. Like there, there's, there's a time and play, like there, there's different cadences and different rhythms in different situations. So how do you account for the juice for the squeeze? Like I had somebody who said, we're trying to bring our response time down to 15 seconds. And I said, why 15 seconds? And he said, cause faster is better. And I said, okay, but how much better? Right? Like if you think about what's the cost of getting response time down to 15 seconds and what would be the delta if it was a minute, right? So that's like how, when you're thinking about acceleration and you're thinking about the application of technology, how, how, do, you, how do you get that mixed together? I mean, a lot of like what you're saying is just the hook, right? To get people like, oh, five, you know, five seconds or less or 15 seconds or less or five minutes or less, right? It's like a kind of hook thing. But every situation like you were just saying, like it, it, it deserves or, or you need to think about the context, it's like the, like, so like the context, the job, Clay Christensen's classic jobs to be done framework, right? Like, well, I can watch a movie for three hours because my job is I want to relax and be entertained and I have an affinity or want to see if I'm going to build an affinity to this you know, set of characters, this, this, whatever, right? Like, so I think th that's the missing piece. And that's where I think the mo one of the most powerful things that we're building when it comes to revenue acceleration is insights, right? So you use artificial intelligence and you know, we can get technical if we want, but all these different things to help you come up with the right insight, not just for you as the seller or the marketer, but to help you pr present that insight in a way to a customer or to a buyer that helps them. That is super compelling, I think. And that's a lot of this, the future stuff that we strongly believe is the future of marketing and sales. Um, and it's not just like, oh, you know, you're going to use, you know, whatever to personalize the experience, but like personalized to what? It's like a contextual insight to make that interaction that could last three seconds or 30 seconds or 30 minutes more helpful, relevant, uh, entertaining, whatever, whatever that, you know, context of the, of the interaction is to be better. Right. So like, and, and I know, I know like movies are using insights to make movie scripts better. Right. I mean, this is, this has been going on. You know? So it's, it's just coming to be to be. So it's, we're not going to have time to go where some of the places that I want to go that I, cause it gets into uh, it. Um, 
so give me an example like 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 share a use case what's, what's an example of how you guys are are you know taking this stuff and you're turning it into an insight i'm a huge fan of insight like what does that look and feel like so i mean the, so the, the cool thing about conversations and there's there's millions i don't even know the right number it's probably tens of millions of conversations happening every month in the drift within the drift like you know platform within the the, the code uh, across all of our customers right um you, you we can use those conversations right and the metadata and the and the, the person the contact level data to create generalized insights um, but then also more specific insights for each one of our customers, right? So we could tell a customer that says, hey, based off of this persona, this ICP, right? And based off of them visiting this page, here's their most common questions. And here's your success rate in answering these questions, right? Through say this, in this case, a chatbot, not live chat, right? Oh, and by the way, did you know that you're missing some opportunities here? And you should, and by the way, did you know you're not even talking about this on your page? Like these questions are like, they're asking them on this page, why don't you change the copy? <laughs> like, like we do this a lot, right? Our top customers do this, right? So, yeah. okay, let's change the page copy. Let's add those questions to the page or let's change the headline. Let's, let's make the, the copy of that page more compelling to that. So that's one example we could do on the sales rep side, right? So we can tell the salesperson, here's out of your target accounts, here are the target accounts that have come to the website, right? And here are the target accounts um, broken up by contact level data that have visited the website, visited these specific pages and have asked these specific questions, right? And based off of these questions you're, they're asking, we can help you use that as a way to do discovery, right? So like, if they're asking these questions and you already know that, like, why would you, like, you might wanna ask it again to verify Doug, right? Like a good salesperson, right? you know, of course, but like, like that is insightful to help you build your hypotheses, your, your, your value hypotheses in terms of like why they're going to want to maybe need your help, your service, your product, right? So those are just two quick examples. So based off of the page you visited or the pages these personas visited, they have a higher propensity to attend a webinar than research dated content or something along those lines. I mean, I, I mean that, that but at the conversation level too, what what conversations are they having on that page? You know, like and it could be with a chatbot or it could be a human, right? But you can use the the, the conversation, the transcript. And get all the, I mean, this is what Gong does, right? I mean, Gong is doing, right? They're in the insights business. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Mike. We're going to have to have a part two. Um, so I, I, I love the idea. I don't know. I don't know if you meant to say this, but, but kind of the idea of looking at if I'm asking the chat bot this question, if you look at that through the lens of that's a bug, you know, uh, it, it, in a lot of ways, chat bots came into service as, as the means to allow people to self-serve their answers. The idea was if you're calling the call center, that's a bug. Someone calls the call center because they weren't able to figure it out themselves. So that's where that kind of fueled the chat bot. But now if you look at it, that if I have to ask the chat bot, then that means I wasn't able to find it on my own. And kind of like what you said was, this isn't on your page. So like, if you put this, like, here's your frequently asked questions page. And this question has been asked 76 times and it's not on your frequently asked questions page. And, and oh, by the way, if you look at your heat map, you'll see that this question's never been looked at. Right? So there's, there's clearly something off about what, so that that's a, um, and then that might also say, you know, that might, that, that, that'll then feed your, your product team, right? If, if we're having to ask this question about this and it comes up and I mean, it's kind of like if I have to, you know, in today's world of tech, if I have to access a knowledge article, it's great if the knowledge article is, is easily understood, but what's even better is I never had to access the knowledge article. It just worked. Cause I, like I've never looked up a knowledge well, so, article so that, for, right. for the iPhone or the iPad. Right. So that, that, that is an actually an, a super interesting point. And I think it goes a little bit into what Mark is saying is like once a month we go in and, and, and this is just a simple, super simple example. We look at what are people searching for in our knowledge base and are we missing things like, and, and we use that to either say, okay, let's build a knowledge based article because we've had 25 questions about this over the past quarter, or we've had, you know, or let's go build it into the product so that it, it, it just it, it goes away to your point. Doug. I got I got three things I want to I want to make sure I cover with Mark because I know how hard it is to get him um, here on the show. <laughs> your, your man, I think you muted or something. Could you hear him? Oh, yeah, no, I didn't. mute. There was some background noise. Sorry. Yeah, there you no, go. you're the one that wanted to do this like 30 days after I said yes to it. So no, I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> Um, it's just that I had the thought of having you on the show like two years ago. So it's, it's really all on me. I understand that. Um, 
So the the you you talked about the consumer economy, and then you talked about selling to businesses. And one of the things, and there's there's different types of things that you're selling to different businesses. But if you're selling something that that's of a certain size, of a certain scope, you're not selling to a person. You're not even selling to people. You're selling to groups of people, right? So it, so it's not one person. And 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 I'm seeing product led growth which certainly has advantages to the company implementing product-led growth. And there's a lot of attributes of it that I like, but on the buyer side, what I'm also seeing is it's creating a tremendous amount of anarchy and we're beginning to see, you know, a little bit of a, of a whiplash effect coming back as companies are realizing, wait a second, everything is all over the place. Everyone's using something different. We're, we're losing sight. We're you know, so, so how do you, how do you take that that one-to-one -one interaction and how does that apply to that broader more complex place where you're selling to groups of people not just individuals i mean i think it requires a tremendous amount of collaboration between your sales and marketing team like your two and your customer success team but if you're talking just net new deal like the collaboration that must happen between how your go-to market team between content demand gen events um and ops works together with then your SDR, BDR and account executive. And then how those people work with a solution consultant, solution engineer, and then team selling executives. I, I join a lot of sales calls, like that's where it starts. But to more specifically answer your question, um, you need to have a very well thought through, um, I guess I will say sales methodology. Really what it is, I think it's like solution selling, it's, it's value selling, it's something like that, right? It's, it's some technique that helps people understand amongst these different, say five groups of people you're selling into. So that's like 25 people, how you get them aligned and how you get them to understand that they each have a problem that is either exactly the same or highly similar to one another. And your solution that's both software, services and support is going to be the one that they have the most confidence in delivering the the the, the resolution to their problem, or whatever it is you might be selling. Because we do have to remind people from time to time that there are companies out there that sell things other than software. Yeah, it could be a physical. Product. I'm, I'm just. I'm oh just, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it could be a physical product. Yeah. No, no, hundred percent. It could be a physical product. But I mean, even the physical product, right? You're yeah. going to have to sell probably some type of like service level agreement because that physical product, almost all physical products that I can think of have a software component to them. So they're going to need um, upgrades. They're going to need updates. Like, you know, my buddy's in, in, in CNC machinery, right? He sells CNC machines. They cost half a million, million dollars. They're all run on software. No, I understand. I understand. I understand. Like, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, 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 and by the way, some, something that, 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 that it's a concept that we're working on right now. I actually just, I, I posted this on LinkedIn yesterday. I said, imagine that you're looking at a core piece of technology. You're talking to the rep. He actually runs a really good demo. And then he says at the end, and here's the really good news about this. We don't support this product at all. We don't, I mean, every now and then we'll update some things, but the really cool thing is it doesn't get touched. Um, A, that's like, like you can't even imagine that like no one would ever say that, let alone say it's a good thing, right? The death knell of any, of any technology is we're no longer supporting it. Yeah. Right. But you would never like today. It's how many times a day do you ship? Not, not, well, do you update the software? Right. But that's how we run. Our, that's how most companies run their sales and marketing teams. Right. I get asked the question all the time. What do I need RevOps for? Or someone asked me, well, after the playbook's built, what do you do then? Like we've right. But, but that's, that's how we think about it. Right. Cause well, gee, we, you know, we identified the problem. We came up with a solution. And, and my point here is that, that, because I think it goes way beyond sales methodology, um, that software, right? It's not digital software, but, but the, the processes and the interactions and all those things, they're software. And just as with your digital code, you fix this, it creates that, this thing changes, that you've always got to be tweaking it. You know, if you look at, so I, I agree with you. And at the end of the day, we're all selling software, whether that's technically bits and bytes, or something else at, at the end of the day, I think, you know, if we look through that lens, I think that would help us all. Um, well, th and that's just a product delivery continuum. Mm -hmm. That's what yeah. you're saying. It's just, yeah. you constantly are delivering product to a customer long after they buy that thing for the first 
time, like whatever that interaction is. Well, you, 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 you sure as hell should be if you're not. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I know you agree with this, though there are a lot of people who, who still fall into this puddle, and, and there are a lot of companies that take advantage of it. Um, your revenue acceleration platform. So I buy your platform and revenue accelerates, right? I don't, there's nothing else I have to do. What, what are the things that cause revenue acceleration not to accelerate? Why, why do efforts around revenue accelerate? Cause you see, you're right. Everybody wants it. No, nobody's not trying to accelerate revenue. Mm -hmm. What's preventing revenue from accelerating from your perspective? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things, but I mean, the top of my head, like top things that we, we see is like, saw this, I see this at Drift, I see this HubSpot. Uh, lack of skills, lack of knowledge, right? Uh, lack of understanding the vision and purpose. Uh, lack of uh, really thinking about the, the, so that's kind of like purpose, that's like people and purpose, right? That's people related things. Lack of understanding uh, the actual change management that's required, which is like workflow design. Because all it really is like digital transformation is like workflow, right? And like that lack of understanding um, how that's going to actually affect the people and the day in the lives of those people. Right. And like, so like going back to your buying group thing, it's like, well, you, yeah, you could have the buying groups aligned, but then are those same people, though, ones that are going to be implementing it and using it. If they're not, then you got to get them in line too. Or like the whole thing is going to just, you're going to have churn quickly at some point in the you know, next 12 months. Um, those are the things that come top of mind. There's definitely others, tons of others. So, Another another concept that we're working on, you know, our, our mutual friend Paul Rotzer, who runs the Marketing AI Institute, um, is really talking about how you know there's more and more application. You know, AI is really coming into you know realness. It, there's still a lot of buzziness to it, but it's you know more real. And and there was an article that I saw yesterday. It wasn't from Paul or Paul's group, but it was about you know is the promise of real marketing automation is you know are we finally going to realize the promise of true marketing automation? And, and, you know, it's like when the printer came out, you know, the computer came out, I'm sorry, the computer came out and we weren't going to need paper anymore, except the consumption of paper just, you know, in, in, increased exponentially. Marketing automation came out and now marketers have to do more than they've ever had to do before, right? Except, you know, that's both true and it's not true because we don't do the things that we used to do. And because of what marketing automation is doing at a volume and scale basis, it means everyone has to run on their hamster wheel that much faster when you couldn't do that automated. Yeah, your you know the speed that you had to go at was slower because everything was slower, right? So, so I think and it's fascinating that L and D learning and development reports to you now overall because I think where the big change is is like where so so the human mind and body is still basically the same as it was a thousand years ago. And we're in a completely different world. So we're out of sync in the world that we live in. But I also think the way we're teaching and training our marketers, our salespeople, we're still training them in yesterday's paradigm, right? And, and we're in this different world. As we become more dependent on automation, and we're going to become more dependent on automation, as technology gets done more, as those tasks are automated and, and accelerated, the importance of system and process design, the importance of curation, the importance of empathy to, to, to hear what's being said, what's not being said, what's being meant, like the importance of how to have a conversation. And I, like, I'm seeing reps fall into this trap that like the system thinks so much for them that the moment it goes off, like they can't talk. They don't know how to have a conversation because they become over, overly technical. If, if you get what I'm right. And I, I think as we move more and more that change management, that system design, that like those aspects of what's going on become even more important. And if we don't think through those things before, then that's where we're going to run into Keystone Cops. Well, yeah, I mean, you're basically saying like critical thinking in many levels, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's critical. So like, and like, how do you help people like with critical thinking? you give them mental models to help them be able to create um, inferences and connect dots between things. And of course they need to like do things and teach things to really understand something. They can't just read or watch something or listen to something to really understand it. And to master it, you have to, you know, you have to both you do it and teach it over and over again so often. But what, what I really think you're saying is um, you're, 
one of the things you're saying is you're t- you have to take the machine out of the human. Like marketing automation didn't take the machine out of the human, right? Marketing right. automation just created a different layer of jobs for the human to do. That's still very much uh, a machine oriented job. And, and the other thing is we tend as humans to think while we're doing right. And, and now it becomes more and more and more and more important that you've got to do that thinking before the doing you've got to reverse engineer the experience of what's happening with your customer. You know, you, you centralize your, your operations into revenue operations. And then you realize because of a bunch of different reasons, it would actually be better if we located them underneath our disciplines and had our, you know, our strategy and design team. I forget exactly what you called it, but I would call it a strategy and design team is like, that's the central thing that's, that, that's bringing that together. That's thinking through these elements giving those tracks that enable your people to do the critical thinking, because once you go into execution, it, it goes into hyper mode, right? The, 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 the system takes it and it runs. And if you haven't thought through those things in advance, if you don't have the design in place, then you're, you, you become, like I said, the only analogy I can give is you become the keystone. Yeah, but it, it can't just be about the, the the design the like the design phase i mean mark you put something on i think it was on linkedin uh i don't even know when but i thought it was actually quite brilliant about um reflection and i don't think enough of us do that like hey reflect on what what did we do last quarter how can we make it better what should we not be doing those types of things and And thank you for proving my point the, the world is changing every step of the way so you always have to be you've got to be very agile in the way that you and and, and thank you for proving my point, because my point is that we need to understand what system design really is. System design is not a phase. Yeah, okay, system right, design right, is right, always right, going yep. on. It's always yep. happening. There's that, yeah, there is absolutely. that element of, of looking at, because by the way, even if it wasn't- you're, you're always having to refactor the code, right? You know, refactoring of the code. And, and, and what we can't forget about people, people are gonna change, right? And, and, and there's yes. an element a little bit you know, everyone gives crap to the breakup email, to the alligator. Like everyone makes fun of the alligator email. You guys know the alligator email? Yeah. Right. Except what they don't realize is that email worked phenomenally well. It worked so well that everyone started using it, which made, you know, uh, as Yogi Berra said, no one goes to that restaurant anymore because everyone goes there because it's too popular, right? Everyone stopped going because it was too popular. Right. And, and so we have that on like that, that, you know, humans are always, we're dyna- we live in dynamic, complex ecosystems. So, but again, it's that, it's that design thinking and that curation and that critical thinking and that, and that empathy, you know, Mark, Mark Cuban said that, you know, if he had a kid today who was going to college, he'd only consider sending him to a liberal arts degree because everything else you're going to learn is going to be expired by the time you graduate. But the, you know, but the great books, if you will, the, you know, the critical thinking that goes into that, that there's, you know, that will apply forever. Mm-hmm. Got a little bit of, all right, we're running out of time. I want to hit one more element because you did not give yourself enough credit, Mark, because you only talked about what you did now. So for those of you that don't know Mark, Mark also was at HubSpot. So Mark is a good luck charm. So if you want hyper growth, I guess the moral of the story is hire Mark, right? Is that, um, but Mark ran HubSpot Academy. So Mark, you know, this is the second, you know, this is your second stab. You built something that, that, um, I don't think anyone ever conceived that it was going to have the impact that it actually had. It, it built tremendous love. There was great content. Um, my question where I want to kind of finish this off is the objective hasn't changed that much in the last 10 or 15 years in this space, but just about everything else has. What's changed in content? What's changed in community? What are the things like, what are your biggest lessons having done this in two different places at two different times and what are the like what are you what are you most surprised by today well first it's just in my title so i was very deliberate when i was talking to, to david cancel um before i joined drift because he's like oh what, what do you want your title to be like, content and community he, he didn't bat an eye because he and i as you can somewhat maybe imagine see some of this to be similar and from a similar like lens but um it's it's the intersection of needing to build um, a community 
using your content, using other forces. Uh, but, but that's really a critical thing that brands have to, to take care of and, and, and think through these days. And, and, you know, everyone's doing content now. Not many people, I think, are doing content, um, you know, really well. It's, it's the classic, like, ooh, long, kind of long tail-ish. Maybe it's slightly different in the shape, but it's kind of like that. Um, when you think about, like, you know, how well, you know, low to really, really well. And then just, um, I guess, on the other axis, it would be, what would it be? I haven't even thought about this, really. It would. It, what do you think it would be the other axis? Uh, it would be... Because it would be inverted, so I have to think about that. But like effectiveness, right? Like yeah. how, how well? Go ahead. Engagement, maybe engagement. I don't know. Because then it would have to be high engagement to low. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to think about that. But anyway, like there's not there's not many people. That's actually be an interesting visual. There's not many people doing it it well that sustains itself um, and creates a lot of impact for the business. So there's still a content issue. Um, I think people still the content issue Doug, uh, Doug and Mike is, is they, they serve the business. They're trying to serve the business with content and serve the algorithms or the machines. And they're not serving the audience, which is like the customer and the salespeople and the customer success team with the right things. And that's always been my mantra from day one at HubSpot, because I was a HubSpot customer in the early days when the first 1000 businesses to ever use HubSpot I saw firsthand what good content could do and what really crappy content or the lack thereof of content could do to my business as I was using HubSpot. And like that was just DNA of how I designed these things and still do. The second thing, and there's more to that, but the second thing is around community. I've always said that content is an incredible spark for your community, if done correctly. Because what you're trying to do with content is build trust, build affinity, build a relationship, build a connection to a person. Well, if you do that, what's the next natural thing? You're, you're building a community. So then let's make that community for the people and then let the community be by the people. So I don't think very many businesses are doing anything with community. Um, I think Drift is doing a lot of things well. I think there's so many things we could be doing better and, and it's going to take another five years to really figure those things out. But the exciting thing is there's a lot of interesting things on the uh, non-B2B side that are using community-centric things that are going to be massively impactful to all community building down the road. And this deserves a whole other thing, but I've been a student of, of blockchains and <laughs> decentralization for six years now. And that is, is a massive forthcoming of, of, a, of a community era in business over the next, not just like decade, I don't think it's going to be multi-decade. Um, and it's the digitalization of, of communities. And that is so innately human because it, since the beginning of like, man, it's, it's around like sitting around the campfire, you know, coming together to build a community. Right. And now it's just a matter of like, how does a business uh, do that to create a, a unique differentiation and uh, to, to, create a, a position in someone's mind and, and an impact and feeling within themselves that, Hey, this is, this is my, these are my people. This is, this is how I like um, uh, show up. This is, this is like, these are my, these, this is like who I am um, at least part of who I am. And um, that's going to, that's going to create long lasting impact. I mean, that's classic ample. That's why Apple, other than some of the stuff you said has become a $1 trillion, $2 trillion company. So drift started insider. HubSpot bought the hustle. Hmm. Salesforce just announced that they're entering the streaming wars. Vidyard launched sales feed. Um, and I could go on and on and on. And every growth company needs to be a media company. And, and you actually had, um, you, you, you actually commented on that. I love, I love what you said about it, but, but here, here's where my point comes. Um, and this is what I worry about the quality that I'm seeing. And I'm not speaking to anybody individually. But, you know, the, it, it's just becoming more and more and more noise and everyone's trying to build, I don't want to say everyone, but lots of people are trying to build quote unquote their community. And I, and I think they're doing it for the wrong reasons with the wrong objectives. Like it, it's really interesting. If you want to have real business impact, if you want your content to have real business impact, you have to write for reasons that have nothing to do with having impact on the business. 
right you have to forget that it you're you're not writing it for you you're writing it for them and and you're going to do all the other things that are right to make that happen right but everyone's got this because we're in the attention economy and if i can just get your attention right and like i only have so much time to be in a community i only have so much time to you know and and so everyone's fighting and there's more and more and more noise mm -hmm. are we going to blow this up for the people who are doing it well no, well, like I don't, I, so this is my, one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, community is a loaded term. Yeah, I agree. Like, what, what is, like, so like a community is not like an online forum. No, 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 no. That's like, no. I mean, that, that, that's like, that's like a, a, a tool to help you bring community members together. It's probably important for many reasons, but a business does not need to have an online forum to have a community. So I don't know. I mean, like this is a whole discussion. Maybe we need to have another discussion on this on this Doug and Mike, but like um, community is belonging. It's belief. It's uh, it's a shared experience and feelings, a feeling amongst people um, and a community. A lot of the times now these days is, is brand and content. It's brand and content and like brand and content are highly, if done well, but doesn't have to be done to an extreme, but done well, a differentiated thing for your business. I have local businesses that have built amazing brands. The modern butcher shop, butcher shop is amazing. 24,000 people follow them on Instagram. They built a community of people, not just on Instagram, but in the community online and digital, they have a community. Um, and like, if they had some more different solutions and tools, to like it, it empower that community to do things, it could be amazing, right? And they, and they probably would never spend a dime. They probably don't even spend a dime on marketing, right? Like nothing, right? So, like anyway. So I want to tell you, you you've, you've, you've triggered a great story and I'm going to finish this with, with a little bit of context <laughs> in the very end. But so I was in Toronto several years ago, um, a client and friend of mine. And um, I mean, they, they, you want to talk about a person who was a walking community. I mean, he would walk and just more people would join his community. So we, we went to um, a local restaurant really, really awesome restaurant. You know, the restaurant tour came down, sat with us because of course I'm with David. So everyone's going to say, and, 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 I, and I remember asking him, I forget something. And I'm like, wow, this is a great place. And something came out about, you know, has the, you know, has the restaurant been reviewed in, in the Toronto, in the Globe and Mail or something. And he's like, he's like, you know, they, they called and asked about it. And I told him, I don't want them to review the restaurant. I'm like, well, why, why not? He said, cause you know, if they review the restaurant and they review it well, then a bunch of people are going to come that like they're not here like uh, this is a community place and so someone's going to read about it and they're going to be like wow and and you know so someone from the other side of toronto is going to come here because they read about it if it's a good review and and that means these people here my community they're not going to have seat right and all of a sudden it's not going to be their place right and and i i say that because he built a mate like he built this awesome community right it wasn't big right it it wasn't changing the world. It wasn't right. But, but he had a very profitable restaurant. He, I mean, you, he smiled from ear to ear. Like you, you could tell that. And I think we get lost in this, you know, exactly what you were saying that it's, it's about belonging. It's about caring. It's about giving before it is anything else. And so when you start that community, we actually had Christina Garnett on and you know, the same thing, we said, you know, if you start the community because you're saying, okay, well, we're, you know, as part of our strategy to get to, we're going to build a community of 5,000 people that will like, okay, guess what? You know, um, here's the last piece of context. Cause I know we've run out of time. It was 1992. Bruce Springsteen came out with the song 57 channels and nothing on. What does that mean? It means that in 1992, we thought 57 channels hmm. was a lot of channels. Right. And, and, and my fear is that pretty soon, we're going to have like 3057 channels. And, and, and the question is, will anything be on? Well, I think it just becomes, it's, it's going to get, it's just getting more personal to like really what you um, care about in that particular uh, moment and, and time in your life. Right. Like for example, you might go through a phase in your life and I love just throwing this out there. Cause I'm like actually thinking about this right now. Like I love fishing. Oh, sweet yep. fishing. I'm going to watch the channels about fishing for a year and really dive into that community, but then I deviate away to something else. And there's, that's great. But like, it, it's, it gives, it's just more personal, right? And you're going to see fishing online on TV, you know, you'll whatever YouTube, but like, I, I actually think that is a powerful thing. That's going to help us 
go back to one point we made, which is going to help us be better critical thinkers because we're going to be able to come up with better ideas by learning from more people that have our have an interest in something that we have an interest in in that moment in time. And it's going to be a powerful force. And it's kind of like what Dharmesh says, like a community is also around like aligning people's uh, vectors on a, yep. on an interest or belief level. Yep. Right. It's a, it's a force to do that. Well said, Mark, this anyway. time went way fast. I only <laughs> like got to like 20% of what I thought we were going to get to. Uh, thanks so much, Mike. You got anything left. you want to finish? Yeah, you want Doug to close left, this one? Doug left no, uh, no time for this, but Hey, Mark, seriously, this was, Absolutely fantastic. I, I don't say this much. This is going to be one of those uh, podcasts that I probably refer back to multiple times because you, you had just, you dropped a ton of gold nuggets um, and, and things that I can certainly learn from. So, so thank you. He dropped some bombs. My pleasure. I, lo I love you know, you chatting like, about like, this stuff. You like my new sound, my, my new sound effects here? Yeah, Mark, thanks so yeah, much. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll definitely have you on again. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care, folks. Cool. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Great to see you, bud.